Hey folks and welcome back to another Blue Light podcast stroke YouTube video. I'm Brendan from Blue Light and this is the only place you need to be to learn all you need to know about the police recruitment process and how to create this most amazing, successful and fulfilling career once you're actually in the police. So this week has been an amazing week. Um, I've had so many of you get in touch to say you've been successful on promotion boards, um, in your specialist interviews, and also in the online assessment centre, and in particular in the final interview to actually get into the police service. Uh, one of my clients, Jack, got not just got an email. I mean, most of the time, forces will communicate with you by email and they'll tell you that you've been successful, well done. This is what happens next. No, Jack got more than that. Actually, Jack got something else first. Jack got a phone call. He got a phone call from the Ministry of Defence Police to say, well done, you've got in and we'd just like to congratulate you. You got the top score. So in the recruitment process, in the group he's in, I'm not quite sure how for how many months that group extends. But anyway, he came top. He was the top scoring candidate. So, so pleased for Jack. Jack attended one of my interview um, courses and attended two of my webinars. When you sign up for that service, you can attend as many of the interactive webinars as you want. So he attended two of those and went and aced it. So how do we do that? How do we go about getting those awesome, awesome high marks? So today it struck me that one of the things I could do is actually walk you through one of my one-to-one coaching sessions. Uh, today I was uh, coaching and supporting someone who's preparing for the direct entry uh, assessment process to become a uh, direct entry detective. So they're doing the direct entry detective process, uh, often referred to as direct entry DHEP, which stands for Degree Holder Entry Program. So many forces are doing this, by the way. Um, uh, probably about half the forces in the country are doing direct entry detectives, which, just as a side note, is really bizarre because when I was a younger officer, and actually when I was a bit of an older officer, uh, detective was the most Gucci role that you could possibly have in the police. I can remember when in the 80s, I know this is a long time ago, but in the late 80s when I was a constable in Runcorn in Cheshire, I started in the police in 1985 and in about 1987 I decided I quite fancy being a detective. So I went on to a plainclothes team and then what would normally happen after the plainclothes team is you'd go and do an attachment with the CID, the Criminal Investigation Department. A lot of forces don't even have those anymore. And then if they liked you and you liked them, you'd go on your detective's course and you'd pass the exams and you'd become a fully-fledged detective. But the waiting list was about 18 months to two years just to get an attachment. So a really, really fought-after position. Now we're in a completely different place. There's, according to Majesty Inspector of Constabulary, there's almost 5,000 detective vacancies across just England and Wales. Should we let that sink in? Almost 5,000 detective vacancies. A lot of people who are in the police don't want to do it anymore. Uh, They don't want to be a detective. Now, that's the reasons why a subject of another podcast, subject of another video. Um, But it's something to think about, isn't it? Why are there so many vacancies? And why are they having to go and recruit outside of the service to get people to come in as direct entry detectives? So, anyway, putting that to one side... Uh, this individual, 
um, really fancies the role. I think they're going to be really good. They're an exceptional candidate. A lot of life experience. Um, a lot of the right type of life experience. And so we've been working on uh, preparing him for the sort of answers that he might give to the sort of questions that you're going to get. Now, if you think about you're going for the role of detective, apart from forces like the Met who do entry exercises, briefing exercises, and other forces that do similar things, um, most forces just do an interview. Now, this particular force that this individual is applying for, I'm not going to mention the force, by the way, I'm not going to mention the individual. And I do have the blessing of the individual to talk about the experience that they had today with me in this one-to-one, and also to talk about the example that they used. It's not going to get back to that person. It's not going to get back to the force, and that's fine. Um, so, uh, anyway, this this individual is preparing for um, this force, and we are starting to look at the sort of questions that you might well get. Now, think about the role that you're going into. So, if you want to be a detective, analytical skills, making decisions based on gathering information from a wide range of sources, that kind of analysis. Um, working with others is almost a certainty. Um, dealing with obstacles, uh, supporting other people. Um, but going back to what we practice today was working with others. So if you think about the sort of skills that you need to have as a detective, you definitely need to work with others. Actually, that's a bit of a banker for most interviews. Uh, those two questions, decision-making and um, working with others, are pretty much questions that you're going to get asked in any interview process to become a police officer, but especially to be a detective, because those are two skills that you really, really do need. So the question might get asked in all sorts of different ways. It could be asked, uh, can you tell me about a time when you've worked with others to solve a problem or to uh, take on a task? Or it could be worded, can you tell me about a time when you've had to overcome an obstacle and working with other people was the only way you could do that? Um, can you tell me about a time when you've uh, solved a problem where the solution was reliant on others? They're all the same question. They're just worded differently. And they're all based on the competency. I don't often show these, but the competency from the uh, College of Policing CVF of We Are Collaborative. And I'm going to allude to that today because it's really important that we have one eye on the behaviours and one eye on the structure and detail within our answer. Now, you know I'm not a huge fan of uh, obsessing about the CVF because if we are going to think about decision-making, well, you know, which competency or value is that? It could be impartiality, because if you look at impartiality, that value, you'll see that there's decision-making mentioned in there. Or it could be the value of transparency, because you'll see that is also about decision-making. Or it could be the competency of analyse critically, because you'll see in there it also talks about decision-making. So this is why I always advise people just to answer the question well in a structured and detailed way, authentically, with some emotional connection, as opposed to obsessing about which of the competencies or values is this from. Um, Because it could be from multiple different competencies and values. You may be thinking, this is my transparency answer I've got to deliver. But they're actually after the behaviours that are within Analyze Critically. Just answer the question. And so that's what we looked at today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, talk you through what we did. So first of all, I reminded him of the sort of behaviours that you might want to be thinking about when you answer these sort of questions. So We Are Collaborative talks about working cooperatively with other people to get things done. Willingly giving help and support to colleagues. So that's important. Willingly giving help and support. 
Being approachable, explaining things well, so you generate a common understanding. Right, if you're leading on something, everyone needs to have a common understanding of what your aim is. I take the time to get to know others and their perspectives in order to build rapport. So asking people what they think you could do better, um, what ideas they have, having the time to speak to them about what, what do you think about what we're doing. Um, I treat people with respect as individuals and address their specific needs and concerns. Easily resolve that one, easily demonstrated just by asking questions in the problem-solving process about um, what sort of issues can you see cropping up? What sort of support do you think you'd need in addressing those issues? I'm open and transparent in my relationships with others. Um, this would come from having regular meetings with the people who you are working with. I'm clear and appropriate in my communications, making sure that everyone understands what you're saying, what you're asking of them, or everyone understands the sort of support you can provide to them. So let's, we need to keep an eye on those behaviours. Uh, not obsess about them, just keep an eye on them. And so, uh, what we've realised there, by the way, is that we are collaborative. It isn't about systems and processes. It's about people. It's about your relationships with people. So your answers, answers should speak to you having those relationships with people in a problem-solving process. So um, the answer that was given was, uh, um, I'm uh, currently a nurse in the military, and I volunteered to get involved in a flu vaccine team to deliver to... Um, people who actually work in the hospital. Uh, it's a team of six that I was going to be in charge with. Uh, our record, the record in the hospital was 60 vaccinations in the time slot allowed, and I wanted to beat that record. Um, the candidate talked about a number of issues, equipment, paperwork, and the route around the hospital would go. Uh, talked about the best way he thought they, they should do it, and making sure that uh, he had the right equipment, and he delegated to others. Uh, he split the team up and uh, into two teams, sorry, three teams of two, uh, based on their strengths and weaknesses, um, because some were good at persuading people to get the jab and some were good at organisation and documentation. Um, by the end of it, they beat the record 80 vaccinations as opposed to 60. Um, we came back and we advised others. Um, I discussed the strengths and weaknesses with people beforehand um, and the learning from it was uh, people don't like change. I could have given them some earlier comms a week before to make them aware of what we needed to do. The answer was about two minutes long, three minutes long, something like that, which isn't long enough. Your answer, if you think about your interview, you are going to have an interview that they're going to tell you it's between 45 minutes and an hour. And they're going to ask you about six or seven questions. So if we just do the math, that means that each answer needs to be well over five minutes. So it's not just structure that's needed, it's detail. So let's take a look at this as an example. And uh, like I said, just to remind you, this is with permission of my client. I'm quite happy to share the learning with you. Um, and it gives you an example of that this is how deep we need to go to get the top scoring answer, the top scoring interview, as Jack did for the Ministry of Defence Police. By the way, Jack, I'm still over the moon for you. It's just great that I love it when that sort of thing happens. So first of all, uh, structure. Um, one of the things we identified is that it, although seemingly structured, there's bits missing. So I like to talk about the Sal Coup method. 
uh, to answer questions. Here's the situation. Include the impact on others, the impact on you, the impact on the wider team, impact on the organisation if this problem wasn't dealt with. Uh, what you're aiming to achieve and what options you should consider. Um, what you actually did and importantly how you actually did those things what the result was and then what you learned from it and then knowledge and understanding why this skill or behavior is so important in the role that i'm going for and so to start with um we talked about a lot of things but i'm going to skip through some of the important things that we dealt with um otherwise this will be a really long podcast um the debriefs by the way are really intense we go into these debriefs in incredible, incredible detail because it's the detail that's going to get you the high-performing answers. And so first of all, we talked about um, having an emotional connection here and making it actually sound like a problem because it was quite problematic, this task, but he made it sound so easy. Now, I want to hear as an interviewer about things that are challenging and difficult. And so in this example here, it's just too easy. It sounded too easy. So we need to talk about the impact of this problem we create it as a problem or a challenge because the actual answer is tell me about a time when you work with others to solve a problem you needs to be a problem um and there were problems but in the initial cell of the answer it just seemed like well you, you just did your job and you did it well so uh, those are some of the first things to talk about and then there's the emotional connection um i wanted to beat the target not sure about that what do you think I don't know, I'm not sure about it. So we shouldn't be doing things in the police just to hit targets. We should be doing things because they're the right thing to do. I know that's not always been the case, and I suspect it's not the case today, that a lot of forces are still target-driven. But um, my experience of targets, targets is it just produces perverse behaviour. You gameplay the targets, and you stop focusing on the things that are really important. And so we reframed it. So it's not about targets. This was about um, ensuring that people could come to work, uh, that they didn't get the flu, that they uh, didn't pass on the flu to people who are vulnerable in the hospital. You see how there's a difference there? And so uh, then we moved into the need to have uh, a better stated aim and also to consider different options. And then we come to the actual working with others part, how you did the working with others. Uh, the candidate talked about what they did, but they didn't explain how they actually did what they said they did. Um, and it all sounded very directing as well, almost as if I directed everyone to do these things, even though he didn't use that word. It felt like it was very directive. It was very um, uh, not dictate. You know, it wasn't dictating, but he he certainly wasn't working cooperatively with others. Um, in his initial iteration so then what we needed to do is to go into the how so how did he do discussing strengths and weaknesses how did he uh, go about preparing the team how did he go about seeking their views how did he go about delegating to others and that's when we had to really drill down into how things were done into the sort of detail that they want at the interview because it's no good just saying things like we discussed or we spoke about, um, which this client did today. Um, when people do that, I like to do something called the seven levels of how on them. Because uh, normally no one ever gets beyond level seven to discover, oh, that's the detail they're looking for. And so one of the areas uh, that we focused on was about this, this phrase, discussed. 
so in terms of planning the route that you they were going to use to get around the, the hospital big hospital apparently um, and how they're going to break into three teams of two to deliver the vaccines so we discussed uh, the map and um, which route would be best great how did you do that well i just asked them so how did you do just ask them well we discussed it all right back to my original point how did you discuss it well i asked them ask them what what did you ask them oh i asked them questions great brilliant how did you do asking them questions well i asked them questions like where do you think we should go first and then go next and what routes should you take and why brilliant what sort of questions are those they're open questions fantastic what was the reason why you used open questions well it get information from them super that's the level of detail that you need that's the sort of level of detail that jack will have displayed in his interview with ministry of defense police not just talking about how you discuss something that's the what you did how did you do it going right down into the fine detail talking about the sort of open questions you used and in our debrief of the uh, discussion he had with his colleagues what came out of it was he identified certain issues and one of the issues was about common questions that they would be asked by the people who they were vaccinating and having a common approach as a result of those questions and so my client decided that what they'd do is they'd come together for a little informal team meet around a coffee table uh, with some coffees and some snacks that he bought for them and then they would discuss the common questions that often get asked so again we did that same thing how did you do discussed um, and he made one of the mistakes that's often made as well is that he talked about we discussed we made sure something we practiced yeah you might have done that as a team but i want to hear about what you did so there's no we especially in questions that involve tell me about a time when you've worked as part of a team i want to know about how you've worked as part of the team not how the teams worked does that make sense so something really great came out of that as well in terms of some actions that they did um they uh, he he decided to um off the cuff actually do some role plays with them so they'd role play a patient and role play someone who's doing the vaccination so they could learn from that experience as opposed to just advising each other which i thought was great but you've got to tell the role the assessors about that detail because otherwise they don't know and especially if they're going for the role of detective, they're going to want to hear about you discussing good question technique with them. So one of the things that we also talked about, we talked about a lot of things, by the way, this, this three-minute answer resulted in about 35 minutes, 40 minutes worth of debrief. But all good learning that you can apply to any question that is asked. So the feedback that um, we discussed was very specific but very applicable to other answers as well and these are common things these are common things that crop up and so we come to the learning so the learning about the uh, briefing them beforehand about the comms i thought that was good um, but he didn't actually say what the problem was and where that came from so uh, we also discussed well what were the frustrations how were they manifested and how did you decide that you should have actually sent out a briefing earlier um, some learning when we go to the learning we can go really deep so one of the things on reflection uh, my client realized is when he was asking them 
about the best route to take. He was asking the questions like, where do you think uh, the best route would be and why? Now, that's called a multiple open question. Now, if you ask people multiple open questions, they're probably only going to remember their last question that you asked them or they're going to get confused. So we talked about learning uh, being about improving the questioning style so that you ask one question at a time. Where do you think the best route would be? Get the answers. Reflect that back to them. So what you're saying is you think we should go down corridor A first and then branch off uh, team by team into the wards either side of that corridor. Yes. Okay. Why do you think that's the best reason, the best route? Or what, 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 what's causing you to say that? Uh, what do you think the pros and cons of that are? So then we can go into ask ask those questions, but just one question at a time. Don't ask multiple questions. So there's a l- l- good bit of learning there, which you could include. We also looked at uh, some of the frustrations that his staff felt. And he had little mini debriefs with them. And I thought that was awesome to talk about those mini debriefs, but not just saying that I held mini debriefs with them. How did you do that? So we talked about how we'd get a coffee and they'd have a little sit down or they'd have a chat by the vending machine. These are little fireside conversations, little hot debriefs that actually make the world work. But we also talked about the importance of asking the right questions. So if someone was really frustrated about something, then there's no point in asking them, how do you think it's going? Because they're really frustrated and angry. And there's a lot of feelings whizzing around. So you've asked them a catalytic question, which is, how do you think it's going? And it's not in sync with how they're feeling. So we talked about the better question to ask would be a cathartic one. How do you feel it's going at the moment? Because that aligns with what's going on in their body. That There's this feeling that they've got that they want to get rid of. They want to deal with it. I was going awfully effing this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Right, okay. I didn't know it was going like that. Well, let's see what I can do to help you. How about we have a bit of a chat for 10 minutes and I can find out what's causing it to be effing whatever it might be. And then we ask questions about that. So what do you feel is causing that? You see how we're still using the feeling word. What do you feel is causing that? Um, And then when they start talking, we can start moving into, um, that's interesting. What do you think the cause of that might be? What do you think is causing that? So we're starting to move to thinking type questions. This is a debrief model I've been using for years, and we talked about how we could utilize that in the future. And I think this would go really, this would go down really well in a detective interview, because they're going to want to know about how he's going to ask questions in the future and the importance of that. And then we talked about the importance of asking not just questions on their own, like what happened, but the importance of making sure that that question is really impactful for the person who you are asking the question of. So when it comes to things like victims and witnesses, um, just asking them a question, so what happened? Well, that's a good opening question. It comes from the peace package. But we can make it better. And we can make it better by, by first of all, Ted Pying it. Ted Pai um, stands for tell me, explain, describe precisely, in detail, exactly. So if you think about both of them being in a column, Ted and Pi, you can interchange them. So please, can you tell me precisely what happened? Please, can you explain to me exactly what happened? Please, can you describe to me in detail what happened? You see what we're doing there? We're getting people to focus on something. 
Now, now we can add some parameters to say, please, can you explain to me exactly what happened between the time you got off the bus and the time you got to the front door of your house? Because that's when the incident took place. We want to find out about what happened then. Or if we want to find out what happened on the run-up to the incident, we can say, so please, can you explain to me exactly what happened prior to you getting on the bus that morning? Or please, can you explain to me exactly what happened during your journey on the bus? But if the actual incident occurred at between getting off the bus and getting to the front door, that's what that's the bit we want to know about. So when we add parameters, we can focus people's minds. And we've got to direct this. It's called conversation management. And then we can make it even better. Because if this person's really upset about something, but we've still got to talk to them about the offence that's taken place, we might want to say... Well, from talking to you so far, I, I can I can feel that you're really upset. Um, I, I can't say how you're feeling, but I can just sense the upset and the, the frustration and the sadness. Um, but it's really important that we find who has committed this offence. So um, I'd like to ask you some questions, if I can, about what happened. So we're warming people up there. I'd like to ask you some questions, if I can find out what happened um so i'm just wondering um if you feel comfortable enough to be able to answer those questions for me to share with me what happened on that day so please can you explain to me exactly what happened from the moment you got off the bus to your front door See, what we've done, we've taken the question, what happened? And we've done all sorts of things with it. We've demonstrated empathy. Um, we've used phrases like, um, uh, answer the questions for me. Um, I can ask you the questions. Um, we've even given them a, an embedded suggestion to say, feel comfortable. Um, and then we've moved on to uh, not just tell me, but share with me. So as a personal connect. Uh, I'm just wondering. People always love to tell you about something. If you're wondering, if you're wondering about what's happened, they're going to want to tell you even more. Um, so we're, we're doing a lot of things intentionally with just one question. And so we talked about that and how um, this is the knowledge and understanding, why it's so important to be able to ask good questions whilst working with other people. It enables you to... Uh, put together really really good questions that sound so like they just flow like you're not thinking about what you're saying but they have such an impact on the people who you're speaking to and it might sound a bit cheesy or over the top but it works in your role as a police officer demonstrating that empathy uh, building up that rapport moving slowly into the concept of asking that big open question using phrases like feel comfortable i'm just wondering i'm wondering i wonder if you, if you can share with me now um, exactly what happened so you're just giving them a command there share with me now there's all sorts of things going on there uh, for those of you who have studied uh, the world of neurolinguistic program and programming and especially the work of um one of America's most brilliant hypnotists, someone called Milton Erickson, then you'll recognise um, there's all sorts of embedded commands and all sorts of things going on there. Which is why 
it's so fascinating being a police officer, especially being a detective, because you can become, well, I've seen them. Uh, some of my old colleagues from the major investigation team in Greater Manchester Police, they were like Jedi Knights in terms of being able to ask questions and carry out interviews with victims and witnesses. Honestly, like Jedi Knights. So just just brilliant to listen to um, what they did and how they did it. And on the rare occasion I got to observe them, it was just a thing of beauty, a thing of beauty. Anyway, folks, there you go. That's the sort of thing that we go through. Um, he, he's going to talk about that knowledge and understanding at his interview. And I, I know that the interviewers are going to listen to him thinking about how he wants to develop his skills, his questioning skills, beyond where he is now, to understand better where cathartic and catalytic questions fit and understand better how to develop rapport with people who are victims and witnesses of crime and equally with suspects and how to get the best out of that interview by using interventions that's going to make that person feel really comfortable talking to you and giving you the detail that you need and the importance of asking one question at a time and listening really carefully and demonstrating to the person that you're listening really carefully and spatial marking and verbal marking changing your pace and tone at appropriate times all of that stuff all of that stuff awaits you folks all of it all of it awaits you so if you're looking to join the police what an amazing position you're in you've got all of this ahead of you and if you're serving as a police officer now I'd suggest this is the art, the craft of being a detective the craft of being a police officer don't forget it's a craft don't forget it's they don't call it street craft for nothing because it is a craft it's an art form it really is um and i sometimes worry a little bit that this uh, sort of street craft this art of policing is something that's going to slowly slowly die out especially with lots of younger officers coming in are the older officers in a position to be able to pass on all of this learning because if you try and google all of that or everything i've just explained well you might find it you might not. Uh, these are things passed on over the years. So anyway, folks, I hope you've enjoyed um, this podcast and this YouTube video. Uh, rather a long one. I did think I'd try and make it shorter, but you know me. If you've listened to these podcasts before, watched these videos before, you know I can't say something in 200 words that I could say in 2000 instead. Um, but I guess that's why you like the podcast and why you like the videos. So uh, please subscribe and keep watching and keep listening to them. And as always, if you've got any questions, please do let me know. And please do feel free to join the Facebook groups for serving officers and also for um, potential recruits. Uh, the link's below in the blurb. And if you can't be bothered looking at the blurb, just look up um, serving officers um, police officers in uh, Facebook groups and look up police recruitment in Facebook groups and you'll find my groups. Ask to join, answer the questions. I'd love to have you on board. All right, I'll catch up with you very soon, folks. Bye-bye for now.